Well, I want to continue with our study of First John. I don't know. If, I know we're, we're all kind of in and out and miss bits and pieces of it, but we're chiseling uh, chiseling away at uh, this little letter, and uh, we've come tonight to First John chapter four, and I want to just uh, look at verses one through six tonight of this chapter. First John chapter four, verses one through. Six, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming And now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is obviously a call for discernment. You may remember that in chapter 2, the command to love was followed by the prohibition to love not the world. In other words, Christian love is not indiscriminate. We love and we do not love. Likewise, the command at the end of chapter 3 in verse 23 that we believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is followed now by the prohibition, believe not every spirit. Believe and believe not. That implies discretion. That implies uh, discrimination, discernment. Being a believer doesn't mean being gullible. Being a believer doesn't mean you'll believe anything. We love with a discriminating love. We believe with a discriminating belief. And this is something that I think is largely missing in today's church. Not only is there, a, I think, a gross uh, lack of discernment in, in the church uh, at large, but I think even a large number of professing Christians, there's not even the, the will to be discerning or even a desire to be discerning. Uh, people, it seems to me, just don't care. Uh, they hear outlandishly unbiblical things taught and they don't even recognize the glaring inconsistency with Scripture. Somebody says it and people just accept it. No questions asked especially if someone backs up their alleged claim with a personal experience. And not only is discernment largely lacking, but when you dare to be discerning or question something, you are labeled as divisive and uh, unloving. I've heard people say, why do you Bible thumpers always have to be so negative and so critical? Why can't you just... Accept what the Spirit is doing without analyzing everything with such scrutiny. 
And the simple answer to that is because not everything spiritual is of the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, John reveals that there are two opposing spirits at work in the world, the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And everything falls into uh, one of those two categories. And there is nothing spiritual about dismissing the difference between those two. You've heard the statement, all that glitters is not gold. Uh, During the gold rush of the 1840s and 50s, people flooded into California at the prospect of finding gold. And miners quickly learned that not everything that looks like gold is. Riverbeds and rock quarries could be full of golden specks and yet be entirely worthless. Fool's gold is what it was. Nothing more than iron pyrite. And miners had to be able to distinguish it from the real thing. Some experienced uh, miners could tell the difference just by looking at it. But in most cases, the distinction was not quite so obvious. And so they developed uh, simple tests to discern what was genuine from what wasn't. One test involved biting the nugget in question because real gold is softer than uh, the human tooth. And fool's gold is harder. So the test involved basically breaking your tooth. If you broke your tooth, keep digging. Another test involved scraping the the rock or the nugget on a piece of white stone or ceramic. True gold leaves a gold mark. And the iron pyrite would leave a greenish-black Mark. Well, spiritually and doctrinally, the same is true. All that glitters is not gold. There's a lot of fool's gold out there being passed off as the real thing, and it's our responsibility as Christians to, to know the difference. Typically, in our tolerance-driven culture today, discrimination carries very negative connotations. Uh, you say discriminate, and, and people immediately think of racial bigotry or gender bias, prejudice of some kind. And so to be politically correct, we, of course, are expected to avoid any and all such discriminating. But what is discrimination? What does that word mean? It means to make a clear distinction. And that is what we are to do that is something we must do we must make a clear distinction between truth and error we must make a clear distinction between good and evil we must distinguish between good fruit and bad fruit for instance first uh, Thessalonians 5:21 and 22 Paul says examine everything carefully or test everything carefully Cling to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. That's discrimination. That's a call for discernment. And it's interesting to me, those, those are sort of the neglected commands in that list of bullet points that Paul adds on at the end of that letter. Rejoice always, check. Pray without ceasing, check. In everything give thanks, check. 
And that's where we stop. That's not where he stops. Just as importantly, we must also examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, shun, stay away from, every form of evil. And that is not just my job. That isn't just for pastors and elders. This, this is the duty of all Christians. Paul was addressing the entire church when he wrote that. So anything you hear, anything you read, you are responsible to examine it carefully. You discriminate. You judge. You discern. It is, it is true or it is false, and you must judge And based on your judgment, you are then either to cling to it or stay away from it. Now, one of the ways that people people get around that, and this is a very common approach, a very common attitude, is by quoting Matthew 7.1. What is Matthew 7.1? Judge not, lest you be judged. You ever heard anybody say that? Judge not, lest you be judged. And I would remind you that even Satan quoted Scripture to promote his lies and tempt Christ. Quoting Scripture doesn't prove anything. Yes, Jesus said, judge not, lest you be judged. And any time you dare to question something or someone, you're going to hear that from somewhere. Judge not. But the context is, is key to that. In that context, Jesus was not forbidding any and all judgment. He was condemning the hypocritical judgment of those who held others to a higher standard than they were willing to live up to. He was saying, don't judge others and then turn around and justify yourselves. The behavior in your own life that's just as sinful or more sinful. First, remove the the beam out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see the speck and remove the speck from your brother's eye. You should always maybe uh, explain and think of Matthew 7.1 in light of John 7.24. In Matthew 7.1, judge not lest you be judged. In John 7.24, he said, judge with righteous judgment. So in one place he says judge not, in another he says judge, so both of those must be taken together, and taken together it's clear that what he means is don't judge hastily, prematurely, hypocritically, unjustly, judge righteously. So we need not be intimidated by those who constantly Throwing that at us, judge not, and make it sound like it's more spiritual to be tolerant than it is to be discerning. Jesus said, judge not, but he also said, judge. And he said it often, beware the false prophets, you will know them by their fruits. And inspecting fruit is of itself an act of judging. So in the context and and flow of this of this letter and this instruction, particularly about believing and loving, the apostle inserts this little warning. It's actually a command. Verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Do not do that. And we, boy, we need to hear that today. Do not believe 
everything you hear. Do not believe everything that allegedly goes on as that which is spiritual or of the Spirit. Stated positively, but test the spirits. Test the spirits. And the, uh, the imperative there, Dokimadzo, refers to a, a metallurgist assaying metals to test their purity and their value. Test the spirits. Do they measure up? Are they pure? Are they true? Are they the real thing? Now, so I want us to look at this. Now, and I want you to notice, first of all, that this command is to everyone reading this letter. So I would say to all believers. Right? This is your responsibility. Not mine to do for you, but for you to test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And the implication is that the Apostle John assumes you have the capacity to do that. You can do this. You know enough to know how to tell whether something is from God or not. Now, it isn't always immediately obvious. It isn't always going to be what's in or what's popular or whatever latest movement is taking the church by storm. So you can't just follow the crowd in that. In Ephesians 4.14, Paul warned against immaturity. He says, we are no longer to be children. What's true of children? Tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. So to be discerning, we must be mature. We must grow up. But we all have the capacity to do that. So the command here is do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And why is that so important? Why is it necessary for him to say that? Well, he tells why. Because why? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So John acknowledges that already at this early stage in the history of the church, false prophets are many. Many. False teaching is pervasive. Now, I don't know about you, but that's kind of discouraging for me to think about. Many false prophets have gone out into the world already. That's kind of a hard fact of life, isn't it, for believers, early Christians to, to have to deal with. You have truth, and then you have a whole lot of people out there spreading lies. How do you handle that? How do you deal with that? That's discouraging, I think. And I, I think the first thing is to just recognize that that is so. To just, to just know it. We need to be warned. We need to be reminded that this is how it is. The world is full of false prophets. That is reality, and we have to face reality. In Second Peter, you might look at the Second Peter, just a few pages over. Second Peter, chapter two. 
verse 1, he said, uh, there, oh, not, not verse 1, Second Peter, yeah, Second Peter 2, 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, he says, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. This is just how it is. Many false prophets among you secretly introducing their destructive heresies, following their sensuality and so on, maligning the truth. This is just how it is in the, in the church. This is how it is in the world. We have to deal with this reality. In Jude, uh, that little epistle right before the book of Revelation, Jude uh, verse 3, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. The faith is a hand-me-down. I don't know if you realize that or not, but you're, you're wearing hand-me-downs if you're a Christian, and that's a good thing. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 20, I'm always uh, drawn back to Paul's Warning to the uh, elders at the, uh, from Ephesus in Acts 20, as he sailed through, they, they visited and he said this to them, Be on guard, 2028, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among whom or among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. And then he says, I know that after my departure, think of this, after I leave, Wolves will come in, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day, for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. So, in other words, we need to start with just that recognition. Okay. False prophets are many. They prolifer- proliferate. They multiply as time goes by. Sometimes they influence the church from without. Sometimes they infiltrate the church from within. In 2 Corinthians 11, you remember uh, the, the terms Paul uses <clears throat> in describing false teachers. Um, 2 Corinthians 11, uh, 13 where he says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. So we start with that understanding and that admonition. Uh, to be on guard and to be aware of their presence and their prevalence uh, around us, among us, it's reality. 
And you are foolish to believe everything you hear or read that goes on in Christendom or in evangelicalism without exercising discernment. So how do we do that? How do we test the spirits? Uh, How may we discern the spirit of truth and the spirit of error? I would say based on this passage, false prophets can be identified in two ways. All right? Two ways. Number one, by the content of their teaching. Number two, by the character of their followers. And this is a basic criteria that, that we can always start with because it applies universally to all spirits and all truth claims. There may be other particulars that you can look at, but these two are foundational. Examine the content of their teaching. Examine the character of their lives and of their followers. One or the other will usually expose whether they are from God or not. So let's look at these. First, by the content of their teaching. Verse 2, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you've heard that it is coming and now it is already in the world. You start with their teaching. What do they say? What do they claim? What do they believe? What do they confess? And most critically, if they're to be considered Christian, what do they say about Christ? I mean, and this is amazing to me if you think about it. Every cult and every false religion on the planet gets that wrong. It's amazing to me how, how glaringly obvious that is. That every cult, every false religion has a faulty view of Christ. Either the person of Christ or the work of Christ. I think bar none. And I suppose that's inevitable because all false teaching is in opposition to Christ, right? That's what he's getting at here. Where does false teaching come from? It comes from the spirit of the anti-Christ. So it shouldn't be surprising that all false teaching gets it wrong at this most basic point. I mean, they deny the, the deity of Christ, or they deny the humanity of Christ, or they deny the sufficiency of the atoning work of Christ. And John says, this is the pervasive spirit that dominates the world. This this is where all false religion goes. This is where everything in the world and of the world is going against Christ, anti-Christ. I heard a series of lectures uh, just, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago on Islam. And the man was saying that the clear purpose and goal of Islam is to discredit, distort, deny the truth about Christ. 
Plain and simple. He said Islam is the most aggressive cult in the world, and its single objective is to eradicate the Christian view of Jesus as the Christ. There's nothing subtle about it. And that is the spirit of the Antichrist. He even suggested the Antichrist may arise from Islam. But this is the first thing, John says, to look at. And usually, frankly, it's enough. If you want to test the spirits, just examine what is being taught about Jesus Christ. Is he fully man? Is he fully God? Is his death an atoning death that takes away sin? Or is there something else that yet must be done? Did he rise from the dead? See, and it doesn't matter what else you get right or how winsome the guy's personality is, or what his experience has been, if you get that wrong, you're, you're all wrong. What's interesting, it's not just the obvious cults like Islam or Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses that get this wrong. You know, many of these professing uh, evangelicals get it wrong. Many of these uh, popular TV evangelists and, and prophets and bishops and apostles, uh, these faith healers, if you study them carefully, and I don't recommend you do that, but if you do, you, you find that their Christology is usually unorthodox many, many times. Or their view of the Trinity is unorthodox. So that's a basic that's a basic thing. Look at the content of their teaching, and particularly the content of their teaching about Christ. Second, you test the spirits. You identify. You can identify false prophets by the character of their um, of their followers. Verse four, he says, "You makes the contrast now. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them." Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. What a great statement, right? They are from the world. Therefore, they speak as from the world and the world listens to them. That's kind of a telling point. The world listens to them. That should, that should raise your antenna a little bit. The world listens to them. In other words, they attract these massive crowds of followers. Why? Because people like what they have to say. Why? Well, they're from the world. And so the world loves them, and the world loves what they teach. But, verse 6, we are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God uh, does not listen to us. So the real test... Okay. Or another test is um, they're from God or they're from the world. How do you know? Well, they do they listen to the world or do they listen to God? Do they overcome the world? Because greater is he who is in them than he who is in the world. Or has the world overcome them? See, that speaks to their... Their life is there evidence of the divine life 
ends in. But John says, look, we're from God. He who knows God listens to us. Jesus taught the same thing. He who knows God listens to me. Here John applies that to the apostles. Those who are from God listen to the teaching of Christ and the apostles. Uh, in Acts 2.42, that was the character of the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. And the apostles' doctrine is not just, here's what to believe. The apostles' doctrine includes, here's how to live. And so this is, this is a, a dead giveaway. You just look at their life. Does it conform to the instruction of Scripture? False prophets, to the contrary, are characterized by what? Well, we mentioned it Second Peter chapter 2, but just listen to some of these characteristics that are enumerated here in this chapter. Second Peter 2 and, uh, and Jude are very parallel in their description of false prophets, false teachers. 2 Peter 2.2, 2, uh, many will follow their sensuality. Um, because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. Um, verse 3, in their greed, they will exploit you. So sensuality, they're sensuality-driven. They malign the truth. Uh, they're greedy. They exploit you get money from you. In verse 10, uh, he says, and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority, daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Verse 14, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, uh, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed. Verse uh, 15, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, and so on. Uh, look at verse 18. He says, for speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption, for by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. I mean, all kinds of promises, all kinds of uh, arrogant words that appeal to people's sensuality, their flesh. This is the character of, uh, of false teachers and false prophets, and this is what marks those who follow them they don't overcome the world you have overcome the world Jesus said you'll know them by their fruits look at the fruit of their lives look at what they produce what are their followers like are they like Christ or are they worldly are they overcomers who resist the devil and flee temptation and love righteousness what is the verse we read this morning in 1 Peter 2, uh, 24? And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. 
see? Is that the character of their of their life? Die to sin and live to righteousness? That's the character of true believers. In Jude, again, Jude uh, verse 8, yet in the same way these men also by dreaming... So a lot of what they teach is based on dreams they've had, defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. You know, you have these guys that uh, go around rebuking Satan and binding this and that and the other. But Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these men revile things which they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct like unreasoning animals. By these they are destroyed. Um, Verse 16, these are grumblers finding fault, following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of an advantage. So there it is. I mean, that's pretty clear, right? A pretty clear description and... You know, you could probably think of people that came to mind as you listen to that list of characteristics. They're out there, and uh, and this is their M.O., and this is what they're about, and this is what they're like. So you need to look, and, and you need to look at the character and conduct of their lives. That will tell you pretty quickly what what they're about, whether they're from God or not. And John says... By this, by this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. You can tell the difference, and this is how, by the content of their teaching and by the character of their lives. So, you know, we need to be discerning, all of us, especially in this day when we're bombarded, you know, there are all the different streams of media that come into our lives, the books and tapes and CDs and Blogs and you know all the stuff on the uh, world wide web. You just have access to so much stuff, and you need to be discerning about that. Discriminate between good and evil and truth and error. All that glitters is not gold. You need to study the scriptures and know the truth. The more you know the truth, the more readily you will recognize what is from God and what is not. They say that to train people to recognize counterfeit money what they do is they simply expose them to the real thing they they just have them handle and look at and observe real dollar bills and other denominations as well they don't have to try to show them all the different kinds of counterfeit bills in other words they just uh, expose them long enough to the real thing that they become so familiar with what it looks like, how it feels, how it smells, how it crumbles in your fingers, that they can then quickly spot any and all counterfeits. And that's really all we need to, be, to do as well. Just know the truth and you will be able to test the spirits. And then having examined everything carefully, Cling to what is good and abstain from what is evil. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for 
another passage of Scripture so clear and uh, so practical for each of us do make us discerning. Uh, may we not be intimidated by the trend, by the spirit of the age that is so tolerant of any and everything, just so destructive. At the same time, may we not be hypercritical, but just discerning. And uh, would you just protect this flock from error, from false teaching? Just guard us. Continue to raise up teachers who are faithful to your word. And uh, may all of us uh, have lives that uh, are consistent with what we believe and what we teach as well. So thank you for this instruction. And we pray your blessing now as we depart. In Christ's name, amen.